This episode of The Hour on the Renewal Ministries Podcast Network is brought to you by Renewal Ministries. 40 years of Catholic renewal and evangelization all over the world. Dr. Ralph Martin, Peter Herbeck, Sister Ann Shields, a whole host of others bringing Jesus Christ, his kingdom to all parts of the world, the internet, and to people's lives. Uh, you know, we do daily radio shows, a weekly television show. We work with young adults, young women, young men. Basically, just like wherever the name of Jesus can be proclaimed, we want to do it. So check us out at renewalministries.net at www. If you don't know about the www part at this point in the Internet's existence, I don't know what to do for you. But www.renewalministries.net. Today on the hour, we talk about Pentecost. Happy Pentecost, everybody. That just happened not too long ago. And uh, we wanted to just kind of sit in the reality of what Pentecost means for the church from the beginning, but in some ways, even more importantly, the reality of the church now. How are we called to live in the power of Pentecost? And as we had that conversation, uh, Peter Herbeck and I, it shifted into some of the stuff regarding COVID-19 pandemic, the uh, terrible tragedy and real, um, really painful and horrible situation regarding George Floyd and the peaceful protests and some of the riots and just how how are we called as disciples to respond to injustice? How are we called to lead? How are we called to move in the power that the Holy Spirit allows for us that bears fruit in our life, real fruits of the Spirit, while still um, recognizing that we have a role to play in renewing the temporal order and and helping bring about greater equality and justice for all mankind. So uh, we dive into that. Uh, I think it's a good discussion. I think you'll be edified by it. And uh, as always, we just tried to cooperate with what the Spirit was doing in our conversation. So coming up next, Peter Herbeck, talking about Pentecost, talking about power, talking about the current moment. But first, my friend, Connor Flanagan. All right, we're here with Peter Herbeck. Peter, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Doing very well. Good. Well, we are coming about a week after Pentecost, and uh, we thought it would be a good idea to just dive into what happened on Pentecost 2,000 years ago and why it matters for us today. So I'm going to just start with a kind of a general question to get us started, because we've, we've talked quite a bit about Pentecost, you and I, together over the years, and it's you know, clearly has a huge impact on how we do ministry and how we live as disciples right now. But um, just as a kind of a general starting point, what's so important about Pentecost to you? Like when you think about Pentecost, what emerges in your head and your heart? And uh, we'll go from there. Well, th- maybe the first thing is uh, Pope Benedict XVI mentioned something a few years ago uh, that really puts it all in perspective. He said, Pentecost is the culmination of Jesus's entire mission. That means his coming in the flesh, his incarnation, life, passion, death, resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father in glory, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the the destiny of Jesus's ultimate work and maybe the unfolding, the goal of his mission is to communicate the life of God to human hearts. Jesus is becoming one of us, unites heaven and earth in his flesh, And he comes to a race of people, human beings, 
that have fallen from glory because of the reality of sin, original sin, and we're separated from God and uh, the relationship is broken. And Jesus comes to restore it by dealing with what separates us, which is the reality of sin and its outcome, death. And what humans need is not just more teaching or more information. We need new life. And the life we're given is the Christ life, the life that was in Jesus. And his death on the cross made it possible, the shedding of his blood made it possible to deal with the human sin problem, to blot out our sin, Scripture says, to take it away. And then uh, he gives to us, he offered up his Holy Spirit, he offered up the Spirit um, on Calvary and said, you know, to you, Father, I commend my Spirit, I offer my Spirit to you. And when Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory, he was now as Messiah, which Peter will preach about in Acts chapter 2, it means he's the one filled with the anointing of the Spirit, he has the authority as the new Adam, a new race of people, Paul calls him a life-giving spirit. He's able to pour out the Holy Spirit uh, on the day of Pentecost from the throne of God, the throne room of God, and the life that's in him, he's now able to transmit to others. And Christianity is the religion that be, that really is the uh, recipient or the, um, yeah, we receive the Christ life that brings us from death to life in our baptism. And so receive the spirit, we're baptized in the spirit, we're immersed in the very spirit of Jesus. So on the day of Pentecost is when it all began. And why it happened then is because, uh, you know, Jesus was at the right hand of the Father and his in, in his flesh, the flesh received from Our Lady of Mary, was, was glorified in humanity in Jesus, had now entered into full relationship with God in glory, which is our ultimate destiny. And he began what he what scripture calls the new creation by pouring out the life, the living water that he promised he would pour out, as St. John the Apostle said, once he's glorified. And Jesus was glorified, and he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the church was born. So the church is born of a miracle. The church's new life in Christ is what is at the essence and the heart of it. Yeah, right. And then that new life in Christ uh, is extended, like you said, through the church through its its members going out and proclaiming this message and inviting people into it, it's a it's a culmination in the launching of even the Great Commission. Finally, the apostles all and the the disciples in the upper room are equipped not just with the message, but with the power to to bring about the message to life in people. It's like yeah. before Pentecost, they could have talked about it; they could still they could have bore witness to what Christ had done on the cross. But the power for the transformation wasn't in them yet fully. There was a, a maturation that needed to happen on Pentecost so that Peter could stand up and proclaim and interpret what was happening for the crowd and then actually lead to baptism, repentance, and the crowd, those who believed, also receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I mean, when you really think about it in those terms, it's, it's remarkable that we don't make a bigger deal about Pentecost in some ways. I mean, some of us do, right? But I, it's, you know, in, in vast areas of the church, it seems like Pentecost is either just another Sunday or like the end of Easter or, you know, uh, the happy birthday church. But there's there's something really dramatic about this day uh, in this even season um, that's worth commemorating and living in. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, too often the church, like, commemorates it as a past event yeah. instead of celebrating it as a living reality. 
and an, ex- an experience, the experience of new life that's flowing from her. Because really, what it is, the sending that you talked about and the power to go forward is participating with God's life and God's power in the mission of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because the whole mission begins, again, Pope John Paul II said, Christianity is the religion that begins in the heart of a loving father. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave, so he sent. So Jesus comes as one who is sent. He brings the kingdom. He deals with everything that separates us from God, restores the relationship with God. And then the Father and the Son pour out the Holy Spirit who comes on mission, who's the first agent of that mission. Remember Jesus, when he came out of, when he came out of the waters of, Jor- of the Jordan, and you know the Spirit of God was upon him. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. So Jesus lived with the in communion with the Spirit, under the anointing of the Spirit, to reveal the kingdom of God, to do signs and wonders, to, to lead people to repentance, to cast out demons, all that stuff. And then Jesus said, now you can do that too, but you got to wait. you got to wait until I give you the anointing, mm-hmm. until I give you the Holy Spirit. It's the key to everything. And so you can see it right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. Uh, just before Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he tells the apostles, he reminds them, he said, you know, remember now, you heard that it was said that John baptized with water, but before many days, in a short time, Jesus is saying, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, John baptized people, and they repented in that baptism. But that baptism did not have the power to communicate the Holy Spirit, the anointing, the love between the Father and the Son and the power of God to people. It helped them turn toward God and to be able to begin to receive the teaching of Jesus. But Jesus said, he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus. And he's only able to do that baptizing, that plunging us, that outpouring of the Spirit, once he's passed from death to life and the new creation has begun in him, now he gives a share in the new creation to everybody and he wants it to be offered to the entire world. And so it flows from Jesus into us. And then he says later in verse eight in the first chapter, you know, they said, are you going to establish the kingdom now? And things they were asking the question, he said, but no, listen, he said, it's only for the father to know these kinds of things, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is the last time Jesus was with the apostles before he sent it to the Father. So this message mattered. He's basically saying, okay, all of this, brothers, up to this point, everything we've gone through is leading to this. Now, pay attention. They were still thinking, hey, are you going to establish the visible kingdom now? Are you going to be like, David, are we going to march into Jerusalem? What are we going to do? march into Jerusalem. Jesus said, all the future stuff, that's for the Father to be concerned about. Here's what you need to pay attention to. Here's what's going to happen. When the Spirit comes to you, when I baptize you in the Spirit, you're going to receive power. And the Greek word there, dunamis, is the word we have in English called dynamite. You're going to receive real power to accomplish something. That is to be to witness to my resurrection to witness to my teaching, witness to my lordship. I'll give you power to do it, and you're going to start right here in Jerusalem and Judea, and then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you the power to do. Yeah. When you say uh, power in dynamis, I love that, the image of dynamite. 
um obviously that invokes a certain like physical external power or at least when you think about dynamite explosion right something is yeah. obliterated or whatever yeah. but like in your experience what does what does this power look like in somebody's life so because the world would would offer a very different definition of power than a, than the what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah. yeah, it's in its essence, you know, it begins with a capacity to be able to believe. It, it begins with faith, which receives the declaration, the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's at the right hand of the Father and that the, everything about Jesus, it, the Holy Spirit comes, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is help the human heart grasp and see and receive the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, his kingship over all of history. Jesus said, all power and authority in heaven and earth belong to me, he told the apostles in the Great Commission. And we see he indeed is the one. He's the one who has saved us and all power over everything belongs to him. So the Holy Spirit helps us see that, believe it, grasp it, respond to it. Just like when Jesus said to the apostles, you know, who do you guys say that I am? Yeah. And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And and then Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but you're my heavenly father, my heavenly father. And Jesus rejoiced because the heaven, God the Father showed Peter something Peter could not have known and believed with conviction and confess under his own power and resources, just the end of a logical argument. It was a revelation and, he, and it gave him conviction. So that's the beginning of it, right? And in yeah. baptism, there's power to become to move from death to life. That's when we receive this baptism, the spirit initially, and we move from death to life. We get the Christ life in us and he gives us power then to have our sins forgiven. And then he, he gives us power to live a different way of life. You know, a new power and a new capacity to live a different way of life, to live the Christ life, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to be able to live his mission and walk in the footsteps of the apostles who we're not afraid to face anything at that point. They had power that let them, uh, that enabled them to confront the kingdom of darkness, the bondages of the devil, the strategies of the devil to break the hole. They had power to help people get healed. They had power to help uh, people overcome bondage in their life and come into the freedom of the sons and daughters of God. The spirit gave them power to see themselves and experience themselves as children of God. And, you know, the apostles used to say, see what love the Father has given to us, that we can become children of God now. We are children of God and we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So all of the reality of who Jesus is in his relationship with the Father and what he experiences begins to get communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Spirit will remind you everything I taught you. He'll reveal to you what you need to know. He'll comfort you. He'll free you. He'll give you strength to confront the kingdom of darkness. All of that. That's how the that's the power that gets really it's a power to become like Christ, to become a saint, really is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in like Romans 8, for those of you who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God, right? And then yeah. it goes on to then then you are an heir with Christ, provided that you suffer with him. And so just like Jesus had received everything from the Father through Jesus in the spirit, we, we receive everything from the father and, uh, have a, a fullness of life in him that would otherwise not be accessible to us. And I think it's important that like the, the, the definition of power can be relatively broad for the Christian, 
it's it's supernatural power, signs mm -hmm. and wonders, healings and and words of knowledge and the the kind of the charismatic gifts of the spirit, but then also just the the power to be to be virtuous, um, to make good decisions, to be courageous, uh, to stand up and be accounted for, uh, to to reject fear, to reject temptation, to fight against the devil. I mean, there's clearly in in the power that Jesus is talking about is is both internal, external, supernatural, natural. I mean, it's 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 complete transformation, and you and you see that in the apostles, and you see that the way that they 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 just live differently after Pentecost. Yeah. And the, the key thing that he said to them is, look, I'm giving you power to be a witness. Yeah. To witness to the fact that the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom is unfolding now and an opportunity to be in the kingdom, which is the only thing that's going to last forever in God, is the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, the kingdom of his father. And he said, bear witness to it, both in your teaching and the way you're living and your capacity to have signs of the kingdom be worked through you. Jesus said, I'll work signs through you, as you were mentioning, you know, uh, healings, deliverance, you know, a clear, clear reality that the things that cripple the human race, Jesus gives us foretastes here on earth of what's going to exist for the church for all eternity, absolute freedom absolute joy and fellowship and communion with God and with all those who are united to him. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the, it's important to see that uh, the, the key term being a witness, you're, you, you're empowered to not only communicate the truth about Jesus, but to live like Jesus in the world that Jesus loves and to be his presence in the world. Mm -hmm. And and it's not just it's not just our own natural resources that get us there. And he wants to help us grow. And so you talk about you talked about the virtues, but you can also talk about the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. These are the things that the spirit has come to produce in us, reproduce in us, you know, that belong to Jesus so that we become more and more like him. And we can, by the way, we live in the world. We can have an impact in the world where the kingdom is made visible to people, a kingdom that they can't that they can't see any other way than yeah. through God's people and through the church. So the problem there's a big problem when in the church when people just look at Pentecost like it was a past event, and Jesus is like a deistic God who said, "Hey, you know this event happened in the past. Now get get on with it." Like in the sense of like it, he's distant. He's not engaged with us, and it's just us on our resources, you know, trying to make our way in the world. No, we're actually living in and from the Spirit of God, and if it's something that Jesus wants to be a living awareness and a real experience in our lives on a daily basis. Yeah, and I want to come back to the, the, the point you were making about us living in the world filled with the fruits of the spirit and, and like basically, you know, that right? what would Jesus do? Um, yeah. It's like actually very true. Like what, what would Jesus do? That, that is the way to live. Uh, and then yeah. the spirit's the one who gives us the power to do it. But before, before we talk a little bit more about kind of how a disciple navigates the, the current culture and climate and, and navigates what's going on in the world as Jesus would, hopefully um, just one more point about kind of 
the Pentecost moment. And if you read Acts of the Apostles, uh, and I, I'd highly encourage everyone who's listening to to just take your time reading through the first several chapters of Acts and paying special attention to two things. One, how often it talks about whoever's delivering a message that they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like the <laughs> clearly uh, Luke, when he's writing Acts, wants us to know that each time that the message is proclaimed, the Spirit's the one providing the words. Like this is. It's, it's Peter, and you, you see it um, also with Stephen and Peter several times. But so it's just like they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they deliver. But they also refer to themselves so often as the witnesses. It's like mm-hmm. it's clearly what Pentecost does is it it kind of baked into them. It, it transformed their experience of walking with Jesus from just like this, this powerful but kind of nice thing that had happened in their lives to like the the thing that has happened in their lives. They are forever changed because of what the Holy Spirit then kind of emblazons in their heart. Um, and it and it transforms even the way they saw their time with Jesus to now that's like, we can fulfill our mandate. It We understand what, it, what he was doing. We understand what we're actually called to share. We understand why it's worth laying our life down because of what the Holy Spirit has done in us. And I mean, you just read Peter's, you know, proclamation on Pentecost and it's just, so radically clear and uh, precise, and and it hits every mark that the church then lives in has lived in for the last two thousand years. Yeah, I think the you know the calm the, all of chapter two is is where Peter stands up. Right, they've they've received the spirit. They've gone out into the streets. People see something really manifestly different in them. Peter begins to preach, and and people could hear Peter. People from of different language groups could all hear Peter in their own language. They could understand him, yeah. uh, which was a miracle. It was like the reversal of Babel, basically, which is what, what, what is often <laughs> the fathers of the church talk about, is to say what happened on Pentecost is a reverse of Babel when, in the Old Testament when man said, we are going to build our own kingdom. We're going to build our own tower to God. We're going to construct the way. We're going to make it happen. And God scrambled them so they couldn't be understood. Now, Jesus is the only one who can establish the kingdom of the Father. And Jesus establishes it in in the power of the Spirit. Then the Spirit's mission is to gather everybody around Jesus and everybody to hear about Jesus, to work miracles to make it possible for people to see and to receive Jesus in his majesty and his glory as the king of the kingdom that we're all called to. And, of course, you know, what, you know a section we both love very much to talk about and preach about, Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and following. Mm-hmm. He says, this Jesus God raised up. So he's bearing witness, right? Jesus yep. told him that, bear witness to my resurrection. He said, this Jesus whom you killed, God raised up, and we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted now at the right hand of God. So Peter's declaring a fact. Where is Jesus? He was raised up and he is now exalted with all power and authority at the right hand of God. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out on you here. So Peter's interpreting, helping them understand what this what has happened to them, that the Spirit of God has come to fulfill the prophets of the Old Testament and the teaching of Jesus himself. This is the day it's fulfilled. It's happening, and it's happening, Peter said, because Jesus exalted at the right hand of the Father. And he said, um, let, all the hel- let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made this him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, excuse me, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
So that's the heart of what the Spirit wants to communicate to the whole world. This is why the church, by the way, as Pope Francis, I like the way he used to say it, the church is not an NGO. Yeah, It's not a human rights organization. It's not a, though it cares about human rights, it's not a, a political institution. It's not something that we created. It's something that God has given, and it's a new creation. It's the life of the power of God within us. So that's why no human being can create it. And right. no human, you know, it's it's a God-created reality. And so as that word went forward, we were talking about power. Verse 37 said, now all those people who were gathered, it was Pentecost, which is a Jewish, it was a Jewish feast in Israel. So people, Jews from all over Israel, all over, uh, you know, the Jewish, the kingdom of Israel, excuse me, Israel came to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest and uh, the spring harvest and to celebrate the giving of the law. Eventually, Jews would do that. Uh, And what happened was that the Spirit of God came on that day. The new law, the Holy Spirit was poured out, the, the law in our hearts, and then people were moved. It says here in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the spirit. The spirit cuts to the heart. And Peter said to them, and they said to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? They asked Peter, because they were cut to the heart. They were convicted about the truth about Jesus. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the center and foundation of Christianity right here. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is it. Repent. That means turn to God. Receive this word into your heart. Be baptized. That is, enter the waters of baptism. There Jesus will take away, will blot out your sin, and he'll give you new life. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. I think you could make an argument that verse 30, 32, but, and then definitely 36 through, um, you know, 39, uh, in Acts, that second chapter in Acts is, is like the why statement of the church, you Mm -hmm. know, the the mission statement of the church. This is about Mm -hmm. recognizing the truth of reality that Jesus is the Lord and Christ and our response to that. If we want to participate in his life and want to, you know, enter into eternal life is repentance, baptism, and then receiving the, the Holy Spirit. And then yeah. you could, and then the rest of the, that chapter, that very brief rest of the chapters, then like the life of the church is then built around that. They had all things yeah. in common, the apostles teaching, the breaking of the bread and the prayers, the, the new man, the new creation that uh, Jesus left behind in the church begins to live a lifestyle together that reflects this reality. And people yeah. are added to that number. And when we look at where we are as a church right now, it's just, um, it can be so distressing that how rarely it feels like at least this, this core conviction is proclaimed. Um, it just, it's like, sometimes I wonder like when, when are the next moments where we can just kind of experience a a Peter moment where people are standing up you know, uh, our leaders with the, around each other. It even says Peter standing with the 11, right? So he's not yeah. alone in this. This is clearly the magis- the new magisterium proclaiming something. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like all other things come into focus when this is the lens by which you view the world. Um, 
Yeah. But it feels very often like that this lens has been darkened, it has been dulled. And and like we talked about the first time in the first episode of the hour, we blush at this. Um, mm-hmm. We blush at this when if somebody even gets to the point of saying, well, what should we do if we want to be a Christian? The first word is not repent out of our mouth. You know, yeah. it's uh, come and see often or it's come and hang out or, you know, you're, you're fine as you are. We'll figure it out. It's th- this this idea that Jesus certainly wants to walk with us, wants to transform us, loves us, is, is all merciful, all that. But it, it really does require our repentance, and it really does require um, yeah. a response. Well, you see in verse 39, you know, after, G, after Peter describes the repentance, baptism, receive the Spirit, forgiveness of sins, he then says, for the promise, that is the Holy Spirit, is to you and to your children. He's speaking primarily to Jewish people at that moment. And he said to all those who are far off, which means the Gentile world, that means the whole human race and everyone whom the Lord calls to him. And then he says, and he testified with many other words and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. What Jesus actually taught and why he came is we're part of a dying race of people. We're living in a world that's under the kingdom of darkness. That's another thing people blush at today. Like, oh, come on, you know, and save yourselves from this crooked generation. Why? Because this fallen world and the kingdom of this world has been condemned on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's been, it's already condemned and its days are numbered and it's going to go away. It's going to be ultimately judged and completely destroyed. And the Lord is saying, the Lord is saying, I'm coming to offer you life now. Come into my kingdom. My kingdom will last forever and it's yours. But you can't come on your own terms. You come on the terms of the king because the king is making a diagnosis of the human condition that today people, as you were saying, might blush at. But the apostles never blushed at it and they paid a high price to communicate it. They lost, almost all of them were martyred, all but the apostle John is our understanding. They were all killed just like the master was killed because the world doesn't want to hear this. It doesn't, it wants to hear the part that I love you. You know, and that's right at the heart of what this is about, God's love. Right. God's love is communicated in a way that he helps us see the truth and that we turn from lies, from deception to the truth, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from uh, death to life is what he offers to us. And that's the part where today more and more people know that's judgmental. That means some people's view That means you don't accept some people's view of reality or some people's view of what God is or their own personal truth. And so therefore it's not acceptable and it's judgmental. Guess what? Uh, The apostles were willing to die for it. And one of the weaknesses of the church is we're tempted to conform to be like the world wants us to be. The world, the people want to say, even people in the church, no, we just want you to talk to us the way we want to be the words we want to receive instead of being. And so leaders edit the mail that Jesus delivered to us. You know, they, they, uh, they cut out parts. They take out parts. They ignore parts that are right at the heart of Peter's preaching, right on the day of Pentecost. That's so crucial. And God's love is, is revealed in the fact, John tells us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. He came to us. His love, he came to people who actually resisted him and didn't want the kingdom deep down in many ways. Uh, but God's grace is being poured out for us to be able to see it and receive it. 
yeah. and to communicate it to others. Yeah. Uh, circling back for a minute, uh, you were talking earlier today about just all of the, the stuff that's going on in the, the world and, um, you know, the, the tragedy and the travesty, really, of the George Floyd uh, killing in Minneapolis and some of the other um, really horrible things that have happened across the country and just the the continued scourge of racism and the themes of our the society's ability and inability to, to handle it and deal with it. And, and it, you know, it just it brings up a lot of questions and a lot of um, and how are we called to respond? I think and, and any person of goodwill, when you see this, should be asking themselves, like, what is my part to play? Um, and as a disciple in particular, we are absolutely called to discern, Lord, what what would you have me do here? Uh, yeah. And certainly there's there's lots of different ways to respond. We were talking about, you know, Mother Teresa's uh, seeming like her response was always kind of like love the people right around you, you know, the little way and, and lots of ways, just like how do we help those who are most poor? Well, help those who are closest to you. And there's lots of different ways of descri- uh, defining poor and, you know, all, all of that. And then there's obviously the, the need to protest and the need to civilly and peacefully bring about solutions. And obviously Martin Luther King Jr. is a great example of that. And so um, I wanted to bring that up in the relation of Pentecost because the spirit is the one who inspires us to know how to act and gives us the power to act. I'm just wondering if you have some thoughts on um, what the spirit is doing in you, maybe in, in relation to these things and, and how you would encourage us to discern yeah. for ourselves how we're supposed to respond to what we see happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's been particularly poignant or challenging time in some ways for me. I grew up in Minnesota. I went to college in the Twin Cities. I was there for five, six years and right near where some of this stuff was happening. And um, I still have family living right there in the area. And, um, and I think one of the things that is really important and why Pentecost makes a difference is a set of things that a renewed mind understands about a moment like this that number one, we live in spiritual combat, that in some way it is absolutely true that every one of us is responsible to do everything we can to bring about justice, uh, reconciliation, healing, all that stuff is crucial, absolutely irreplaceable. But I also know with a renewed mind that is the mind of Christ that I'm not surprised because this is a bad, the, the, the earth that remains a battleground a spiritual battleground and the battles between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And they're contesting, the kingdoms are contesting for human hearts and the battle's real. The, and if you look as, as difficult as our situation is here in the United States right now, and this is very real, look around the world. There's a million Muslims that are held in concentration camps in China right now. Hmm. As much as I love Israel, and different things that are happening in Israel, the uh, the plight of the Palestinian people that is going on. Then there's some there's some genuine injustice that's happening in a situation like that. Just make your way around the world and look at the the amount of war. Look at this modern slavery. Look at the modern selling. You know the 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 um, the whole pornography industry and the what's the terminology? You know when they yeah. uh, selling. And, and human trafficking. Human trafficking and all that stuff. So look, this stuff is 
everywhere, despite the energy and the time and the money that's spent. So what's the problem? What's at the heart of the problem in Minneapolis? Well, it begins in every human heart. There's, it begins with the, the realization that in every human heart is still an attraction to sin, the desire to put yourself first, to dominate, to control. There's anger. There's lust. Remember when Jesus, I mean, Jesus, one of the reasons I, I'm a Christian is how real it is. I mean, how, how, how clear the diagnosis is. When Jesus, you know, they asked Jesus the question, you know, if we eat certain kinds of food, will it defile us? What defiles us? And Jesus said, look into your heart. What defiles a man is what comes from within. And then he listed a whole set of things. Look what's in your heart. He said, anger, Hmm. bitterness, rivalry, jealousy, vengeance. All these things are lust. They're in the human heart. Greed, pride. And so at moments like this, uh, a tragic moment like this, it has potential for so much good to come about. Like in this particular case, uh, you know, it was so clear what had happened was just wrong, you know? Yeah. And that something in this man, whether it was pride or arrogance or racism at his core, whatever it is, got released in that moment and then a and then boom i mean it just the fuse got lit and then human hearts everywhere get exposed Mm -hmm. and how we respond to it the core and you have some people who respond perfectly in the moment and they and they they want to be you know following the footsteps of martin luther king and the way the nonviolent, loving but very determined way that he responded to things, you know, and that kind of leadership. But then there's, on the other extreme, there's anarchists and revolutionaries and looters and people who just are bored and they want to go out and burn stuff and everything in between, you know? Right. And it reveals a lot about what's in the human heart. And so as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, you say, I know he wants me to be a light and to have, and I care a great deal about what's going on, but how do I walk out uh, my relationship with him in this moment? How do I walk out the first commandment, first and second commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? What does it look like? And I think that's an important question for us to ask and to be able to, to respond to the moment in a Christ-like manner, according to what God would be calling us to do so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's so many layers there and this is where, uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I've just kind of, and it's, I don't think it's a cop out when you say like, we really just need to walk by the spirit in this, um, because the spirit, the fruits of the spirit are absolutely essential in these, these times so that Mm -hmm. we can still have love and joy and peace. And, and, and then, you know, the last one is self-control. Uh, yeah. the more as a society we can live in the fruits of the spirit, I, I believe the more the kingdom will, will be built and the more these things that we all should be willing to fight against, uh, mm-hmm. injustice, inequality, racism, these things, um, we, we actually have then the tools to fight because it's not just external physical structures, but the internal transformation of people's hearts that leads to lasting change. Um, 
because mm-hmm. as much as laws can change, as much as systems can change, and they need to in certain in, in particular instances and and maybe in big instances, you know, um, the it's still human beings at the center of it making decisions that are ultimately going to either lead to a, a more peaceful, just and righteous society or or not. Um, yeah. And, and this I, is going to, I mean, I think it's important to see this is going to be with us at one level or another in different parts of the world until the Lord comes again. And it, it's not like we can fix, we're going to run out and fix the world. I mean, that's part of the frustration people have is like, my goodness, all that we've poured into this, all that we've done for all these years, haven't we made any progress? What You know what I mean? And, and there's a deep kind of frustration that can settle in. And it's because humanity can't perfect the world. But what we can do is we can, what did St. Francis say, for example, about um, make me an instrument of your peace? Uh, the, uh, or even going back to what uh, you and I might, were talking about earlier, Pete, um, one way f- that I've been thinking and meditating on this and praying through it is the thinking about the Beatitudes. Yeah. And Jesus, Jesus saying to us, this is the kingdom life. This is the life of the king. Okay, what is that? He says, you know, the first, the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. They look to God. Friendly. So I'm beginning to say, Lord, I want to look to you now, and I want to see this situation. Help me see through your eyes. Uh, and he said, okay, blessed are those who mourn. This is really something that's worth mourning over, weeping over. You know, the weakness, human weakness, the reality of sin, the reality of racism, the reality of people's, you know, the violence and the, and the killing and the rest of it that goes on, we should mourn and weep for that because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's healthy to be able to do that. The distance between who God has called us to be and who we are, even weep at the, the limited response of the church Yeah, to say that we're not, we're not impacting the way the Lord wants us to impact. Our response is crippled by our own stuff you know, in different ways or uh, blessed are the meek. Here's a good one. Meekness is not, it's not uh, like a sentimental weak trait or something. It's understood. Really. The word means strength under control. Jesus said, I meek. follow, be like me. Jesus said, I'm meek and humble of heart. And meekness is strength under control. It's self mastery leading to doing just deeds leading to um, promoting the common good, humanity's good, and strength to do what's wise, to love my neighbor as I love myself. If I'm not meek, I'm seeking revenge. There's hatred in my heart. I can't bring the kingdom. There's no kingdom if that's how I come. And my life doesn't belong to me. I'm, I belong to the king now. He said, you're my ambassador. You're my friend. You're my witness. So we have to ask ourselves, you, went, you were saying, you know, what would Jesus do? It's kind of trite the way it's used today, but that's exactly the question. Right. And, um, or blessed are the merciful. You know, the word mercy. Jesus says, this is what I'm doing in your heart. It's, uh, you know, it's about the human heart. It's a word that means to have your heart moved with pity and tenderness, have your heart tenderized toward the suffering or even toward your enemy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even towards your enemy and to be able to enter into that whole situation in a way 
Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. The peacemakers, the peacemakers are the children of God. You know, and so Augustine described it. He said, peace is the calm that comes from right order within us. God given order in relationship with God. Aquinas went on to say, you know, it's three kinds of peace. Peace within us, interior peace, peace with God, submitting to the God, God's order and living in a healthy fear of the Lord to live under the Lord's direction. And the third is peace with others, living in good order with my neighbor. And that starts in the heart. And this is why St. Francis said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Help me be a channel, he said. Hmm. And that channel of peace comes from my living with the Lord. And so the Christian isn't surprised at this. We're saddened by it. And we want to do what we can to change it, but we know we have to live from the Lord to enter into what is a very intense and confusing spiritual conflict. Yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah, and then the last thing I'd add is, uh, is just Jesus's posture of being willing to, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those yeah. who mourn to yeah. uh, even when he has the ultimate capacity to fix. And even like in the case of Lazarus knows he's going to fix, <laughs> Uh, yeah. takes the time to validate the very real emotion and sadness that he sees in, in Martha and Mary. And I think as Christians, um, because we know our God is big and we know that he can bring good out of difficult things and make straight with crooked lines and all those things, we can sometimes, I think, too quickly jump to the the fix um, and not take the time to to sit with those who are who are suffering and to really strive to understand them as best as possible, recognizing that each of our life circumstances is different and our journeys are different and our experiences are different, but it doesn't mean we can't still really validate the good and the true and the beautiful and, and even the painful of um, somebody else's experience. And so one of the things I've just been trying to figure out is, all right, Lord, how do I, how do I, I, I weep with the various communities that are affected by this in a way that is authentic um, you know, again, not pandering, but is is the wounded heart of Christ, uh, because his his body has been wounded by all of this. And mm-hmm. you know, you you'll know you are Christians by your love. And and one of the greatest scandals in the body of Christ is when Christians hurt other Christians and and you know don't love each other uh, as the Lord has called us to. And so I I don't know. I think there's there's a lot more to be unpacked there. But for us to still maintain a posture of of, of a certain a degree of listening, um, but also letting the Lord develop an empathy for for people or situations we don't fully understand. Yeah, I, I think um, here's here's another simple way that I've been t- just trying to look at it. Um, going back to your initial question about Pentecost, the power of the Spirit, and what difference does it make? You know, Paul says in Romans chapter eight, earlier in the chapter than the place you were referring to, mm-hmm. he said, you know, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. What is he saying there? He's talking about is moving from the concupiscence and the power of sin at work in us to begin to live by a new interior power called the Holy Spirit who wants to help me move into freedom to be able to direct my life 
toward the ultimate purpose for which God made me to love God and to love neighbor in every situation. Hmm. And so in this kind of case, um, when I saw that policeman do what he did on the video, I had these incredible feelings inside me. Like, I wish I was there. I would punch the guy right in the face. You know, I would grab that cop or I'd do something, you know, and I'd want to, I want to hurt him. You know, I don't want to yeah. just, I mean, this is part of it. Not just do I want to restrain him. And I was angry that the other cops standing around didn't do it. But I, I really, I just thought I, it's just there. It's in the human heart. And so what's there? Well, what the Lord wants me to be able to do is to say, in any situation to act justly, to do what's needed in a situation to protect or do whatever needs to happen for other people, but not to act out of vengeance or hatred or rage because I'm not free. It's not freedom. It's just simply raw giving into what's there. And at the end, here's the genius of Martin Luther King. He understood he among all people and those who were close to him, all the all that they took yeah. I mean, getting shot at, getting beaten, getting time after time after time in their rejection. If anybody had a right to go set something on fire, if that makes any sense, he was one of them, but he understood. No, no, no. He was living the Beatitudes. And he said, look, if I do, if we do that, that becomes the issue. It distracts us from the real point, which is the hatred, the racial hatred of people that's enslaving us. This is what we need to keep before people, he was saying. This is what it is. We're denied our rights because of our race. And if we now destroy property, take up guns, then the war and the fight and everything that we're in the killing of people becomes the issue. And all that is, is it's the rage in the human heart for revenge that comes out of, a, Jesus said, be angry. Yes, be angry, but don't sin. Yeah. Well, how can you do that without the help of the Holy Spirit? Right. right. And here's what the Spirit is saying. It, by the Spirit, you put to death that it means you subdue the drives, that in the, the sort of innate fallen nature that will lead you to revenge, to seek revenge, and to harm people who didn't harm you. Look at all the innocent people who've been harmed now in Minneapolis and around the country. Look at how many communities, the minority communities are being lit up on fire and destroyed. Right. Things that people worked for. Their lives are ruined. What good did that form of anger do? Right? Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. was destructive and vengeful and violent for some of the people who are at the core of that. And all it did was destroy the lives of more people. Instead of a, an, a righteous anger that is expressed in a way that brings about justice and, and has the right self-control to treat everybody the way they ought to be treated, the way I want to be treated. You know, I mean, yeah. Jesus commanded, he said, you know, the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. Love people. You know what I mean? Do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. Now, if everybody there who was beginning the response to this grave evil that happened, said, okay, I'm going to respond and anger is going to be directed toward a just goal here. And one of the parameters I put on myself, because this is what the king commands of me, Jesus commands of me, 
is treat others the way you want them to treat you. Okay, this store owner over here, I don't even know who he is. He happens to be, the poor guy has a business in the wrong neighborhood. What if that was my store? What would I want people to do? That I'd want them to please leave my store alone. Yeah. I'm trying. I just. I'm, this is my livelihood for my family and food for the neighborhood. You know, and so there has to be what Jesus is talking about here in the Beatitudes. What Scripture is talking about here, Paul and Romans is self mastery, because uh, it begins in the heart, and the new heart is a heart that is that is capable of subduing the destructive desires that I could say yes to, the destructive effects of my desires that I could release on people if I just let it go. Yeah. And that's a, that. And so we see a mixture of everything there. We see very heroic, wonderful people, many Christian people there who are peacefully saying, enough, we need to heal this. We need to take concrete steps to do this. Which, which is wonderful, you know? So and true. I know, those are just things I'm chewing on to try yeah, to I hear you. see what power, what is this power? What difference does this power make? I guess Pete is the point, you know, like yeah, right. this. And supposedly as C.S. Lewis used to say, this is the kind of experience where Christianity walks. He says, you know, where, where Christianity begin, the reality of it begins to unfold. It's either there or it's not there. And, and it's able to face crises like this with calm, with maturity and righteous anger that's directed toward justice and ultimately guided by love under the Lordship of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what made Martin Luther King so um, truly radical was not just what he was standing for, not just what he was marching for, but the manner with which he was doing it because of the, the Christian worldview he embraced. And was he perfect? No, but he was, he really was striving to live a, a Christian life and um, which meant kind of some decisions that in the world's eyes would be hard to understand. Why would you turn the other cheek? You know, it seems counterproductive when you're, you're in a certain type of war for right. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you justify that? And that, that again, though, is, is each individual person, the more we can be walking by the spirit, the more we can be, um, being Jesus in the world, uh, hopefully there, there's a, there's enough of us who can gather into that kind of mighty Christian army to 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 see real change and to bring as many people with us as possible. Um, I wonder, do you mind just leading us in a in a little prayer for uh, just to kind of conclude? I feel like this is this is heavy topics. There's a lot heard and not heard. There could be a lot that could be misunderstood. There could be you know just all of that and. And I'm not particularly afraid of that. And I think we're having a, a good conversation here about this. But I just feel like to close this section with a little bit of prayer for more of the Holy Spirit and more for just unity and, and healing would, would go a long way, at least for me. You know? Yeah, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, since we talking about it, pray for the repose of the soul of George Floyd and, his, and pray for the blessing of on his family, for your peace, for your consolation, for your comfort to be upon them. Lord, I, I pray for the help that you'd help our country to mourn in a way that's healthy. 
Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be meek, to have strength under control, and to, and to direct our anger in a way that would really help us bring about just results and real change. Lord, without your help, you say, without you, we can't do anything. Without you, we can't establish kingdom principles and, and really bring healing because it's ultimately your work. And we ask you, the Prince of Peace, to let your peace rest upon us. I pray for those who are listening to this podcast who maybe are thinking, well, you know, maybe I went, maybe I need more. I need more compassion. I need more mercy. I need to be more committed to being a peacemaker. Ask the Lord. Lord Jesus, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us. All of us fall short of your glory. Help us deal with our fear in this moment, Lord, the fear that grips us and controls us and may cause us to be, you know, fearful to take a responsible role that you may be calling us to. Lord, bring healing. Bring your power. Bring your kingdom. Lord, purify your church so we could be an instrument of healing, of love, of justice. And I pray, Lord, for after having talked to some friends who, African-American friends, all of whom feel, they feel this pain, they feel this sometimes fear, they feel this confusion that's still in the air in different ways in our country. And I ask you to bless, bless abundantly our African-American brothers and sisters, the black community in particular in this hour. Let them know your comfort. Let them know healing. Raise up great leaders, more leaders among them to just lead, to speak clearly in a way that can help heal the body. Come Holy Spirit. Let me just pray too that we can all examine our hearts more honestly What's first in my heart? Even though I've been baptized, what's first in my heart? My politics, my ideology, my tribe, my race, my socioeconomic class, whatever it is. Like what's there that needs to be repented of and turned away from and brought under your lordship? Come Holy Spirit. We ask you to guide the leadership of the cities they all feel overwhelmed, I'm sure. They'll just ask for your guidance in their lives, that they have great wisdom and courage. Mother Mary, we ask that you pray in your seat. We're here recording this today, remembering you on this feast day. We ask for your intercession, the intercession of the saints. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Peter. That was uh, that was good. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation here, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll do it again. Huh? Yeah, it'd be great. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, Pete. It's yeah. uh, it's good to talk about these things. It's important to just keep growing together and seeing where the Lord can lead us. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Talk soon.
Take care. Bye. That was Peter Herbeck. And uh, I think an important beginning of a conversation. Um, I just, as I read as much as I am able to and listen to all different types of voices, try to feed my mind with primarily the Word of God and what the church teaches on things like this, but then also a diversity of voices and perspectives and experiences. I just keep getting the sense that the Lord does want us to listen. The Lord wants us to learn. And the Lord wants a renewal of our minds, not just by what the culture is asking us to to think or to change or to do or to be, but His voice, His mind, His heart. And the best way to find that is in the scripture. To be able to dive into the word of God and just say, Lord, show me your heart. Show me your vision. Teach me how you view humanity. Teach me how you view um, salvation, death, justice, how to treat my fellow man. I just can't stop thinking about like how, how would Jesus navigate these streets right now? How would Jesus stand for the oppressed? How would Jesus speak a word of peace? How would Jesus call out injustice? How would Jesus uh, be a healing presence? And I, I certainly don't have all the answers to that. Um, and I'm not even going to offer any right now. I just would encourage you to think through that question right now. How would Jesus navigate uh, these circumstances? And maybe even more poignantly, how would Jesus navigate them if he were you? One of my favorite definitions of a disciple, living as Jesus would live if he were you. I guess what I want to leave you all with tonight is, I don't know why I say tonight. You could be listening at any time of the day. What I want to leave you all with is thinking about, again, what would Jesus do? It's such a cliche phrase, but it, it's so accurate for the life of a disciple. I, sh- I should be preoccupied with living and doing and saying and acting as Jesus would if he were me. And so that's going to look a little different for everybody. That's why we make up the body of Christ, right? We all, we're not all hands, we're not all feet, we're not all mouths, we're not all eyes. We all have a different role to play, but unified and validating each other's gifting and seeing Jesus in the other, we uh, have the potential to truly be his presence here on earth. And so I think uh, as we navigate these upcoming weeks, this is not the end of of this type of conversation. I want to explore this and unpack this even more on the hour. But at least for for this episode, let's just stick into, um, let's listen both to the voices of those we don't understand or the voices of those that we would love to understand who have a different experience, but also listen just to the voice of the Lord and saying, how is he calling you to live? How is he calling you to respond to this moment? And um, yeah, and then ask for the courage to do it. So let us just say, Lord, encourage us, empower us, educate us, awaken us to your presence in our fellow man and awaken us to how we are called to, to, to be your hands and feet right now. Thanks for listening. This has been The Hour. I'm Pete Burak. We'll be back next week. Um, Yeah, this is fun. This is good. Praying for all of you. And uh, just remember, go make disciples.